like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. You certainly lucked out in tuning in to Song of the Soul today because our guest is Danny Ellis. Of course, he's an accomplished singer-songwriter, but even more, he's an Irishman. Okay, that doesn't automatically confer greatness upon him, but his youth in an Irish orphanage, his climb to stability and achievement through music and love, and the fact that he's just now releasing a memoir of this moving story called The Boy at the Gate a perfect match for his CD, 800 Voices, which has songs of this experience, all of this together will deepen your heart and raise your spirits. Danny Ellis joins us today by phone from Asheville, North Carolina. Danny, I'm really excited to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here with you. It's also great to be at this confluence of two things, the 800 Voices CD and the just-about-to-be-released memoir that you've written, The Boy at the Gate. Does this feel like a special point of fruition in your life? Oh, yes. I mean, obviously, I was brought up, I was brought up in an orphanage. I your voices about my life in, a, in an Irish orphanage. And I never really thought too much about it because your life goes the way it goes, and you, th- you take that as being natural, and you take it as being ordinary. You don't think anything extraordinary happens. And then, you know, as I left the orphanage and I, you know, made friends and I got married and I speak to my wife about the experiences that I had in the orphanage, I began to realize that something really extraordinary happened to me that impacted my life very, very deeply. So when the the material for the song started to come out, to me it was a really big surprise to be revisiting the orphanage experiences and and maybe the hurt and the pain and the feelings of, of abandonment, which got covered over in my quest for, you know, musical excellence and fame and fortune and so on. So the material in 800 Voices and my book is very special and very dear to me because it's material that got covered over in the trust and parry of everyday survival. When it revealed itself to me, uh, when I started to go back to the feelings and things that I had as a child, I began to find out more about myself as a human being and what shapes me. So it's been very healing, very cathartic, and, you know, not always fun, but always very revealing and very, just very healing. 
I've read just the first four chapters so far of your book, and so I have an idea of some of that history in the orphanage and the evolution of your CD, 800 Voices. It sounds to me like you were reluctant to go in this direction, that to some degree you kept refusing it even when the music was coming out of you. You kind of wanted to hide it. You didn't, you didn't want to trundle it into public. No, I didn't. You know, I think when you when you're a child and 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 you're, uh, I never went into the abandoned child part of my psyche, if you know what I'm saying, because I was a performing musician who was, you know, hell bent on on being as good as a musician as I could, and you know, trying to write good songs and make a living and and just have some fun. And the last thing I wanted to do was revisit old pain, old buried trauma and stuff. It seemed to me to be indulgent. But it was so compelling, as well as it feeling very frightening, it also felt very cleansing and very good at the same time. Although, you know, you don't enter those waters too willingly. I have my own abandonment type issues. Uh, by the way, I, I grew up Catholic as well. My mother died uh, drunk driving when I was nine years old. So I experienced some of that loss. I think you went into the orphanage at, was it eight? Uh-huh. So, to some degree, we both lost our mothers around the same time, in essence. Yeah. So, I I naturally am drawn and I sympathize with some of the feelings that you have. And since I grew up in a family, a large family, I also... <laughs> It wasn't 800, but, you know, it was 12 of us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I sympathize with a whole lot of what you went through. One of my questions then is, did you ever become part of a men's group? You know, I've never become part of a, an actual, you know, dedicated men's group. But I have had a lot of really good men friends over the years. I've been very lucky in that the people that I have associated with from my early 20s have been interested in digging a little deeper and just finding out what makes things work and, you know, questioning why we're so messed up as a, you know, as a human family. A really good place to start, and I've always felt that the best place to start with healing, I mean, I got involved with, I tried to get involved in my early 20s with some organizations that were doing some good on the planet. I wanted to do something good, and I went to a couple of meetings, and I started to realize that people were trying to do good in the world without finding out about themselves, what, about what was making them tick. It was almost like they were sweeping their own stuff under the carpet. I became really, really aware that that wasn't a good way to go for me, that I really had to look inside myself. So I became involved in meditation and meditation groups. That probably answers your question with regards to men's groups. You know, I would, we would sit, uh, those of us who meditate, and we would talk about our experiences in meditation and talk about what our feelings were, what our doubts were, and so on like that. And that was extraordinary healing. We used to call it satsang at the time which means the company of truth, it's a Hindu word. So it was really great to spend time with people who are really trying to be honest and really trying to be true to themselves. And so I've done a lot of work on that. I moved into an ashram when I was in my early 20s. You know, you, you're celibate and you lead a spiritual disciplined life, take about poverty and celibacy and stuff like that. 
Well, obviously, one of the major influences in your life, having listened to a whole lot of your music, is music itself. To some degrees, I think music was your savior, your your way out of otherwise uh, some pretty bleak feelings, some maybe some deep loss, that music somehow was a buoy that held you up. So why don't you get us started with your music? What would you like to begin with? Um, I guess my first song would be 800 Voices, which is about my arriving into the orphanage that at eight years of age, just after hearing from my mother moments before that she told me she had TB and had to go into hospital and had to leave me here with the Christian brothers in this orphanage for a while, but she'd be back for me later. And she never came back, and she never had TB, so basically she was just, uh, she really didn't have the heart to tell me the truth that, you know, she couldn't afford to keep me. And So this is me just after having left my mother, uh, being told that I was going to be left in this orphanage. And 800 Voices just starts me right off as I just come in the gate. 800 Voices Echo Across the grey playground Shouts of fights and God knows what I still can hear that sound With their hobnail boots and rough tweed And greases of brown and green The toughest God-forsaken bunch that I had ever seen I was taken across the schoolyard in the cold December morn Through the games of ball and the wrestling kids All fighting to stay warm There I handed in my trousers And my khaki gabardine Farewell to the last reminders Of a home in smithereens Well, they marched us down to breakfast And they marched us up to bed And the hobnail boots on the iron stairs Was enough to wake the dead And after mass on Sundays With the brass bands playing fine we would march with the rebel battle hymns Sending shivers up your spine How long will you be here for? Said the big lad on the wall I've got eight more years to go, said I and he laughed till I thought he'd fall Well, I'm out of here next week, said he But before your time is soon There'll be raisins in the Holy Communion sun They'll be walking on the moon 
I'll be back for you this Christmas I could hear my mammy say And the bitter truth within that life I've yet to face today When it gets too much for feeling You just bury it somehow And that eight-year-old abandoned lad Still waits for her right now Ah, the Jesuits came round now and then To sing their songs of hell And we'd be pissing in our britches For we knew that place right well But a spark of sweet devotion found me That sings in my heart still Though it took me years to shake the guilt Of the cross upon the hill Marked black by the Christian brothers Who stole away my breath Marked black by their straps of leather An inch away from death Somewhere only lands themselves And one or two were saints But too many grim abusers Had no compassion or restraint Then there was Brother Joe O'Connor Gave me music, strength and pride He was almost like a father Though he was quick to tan your hide And the memories now are bittersweet I've dropped that heavy load And eight hundred voices cheer me on As I'm walking down the road Title song for Danny Ellis's new CD, 800 Voices. It's such a touching song and story, Danny. There's a line in there where you talk about never having dealt with the lie that your mom told you. You know, she'll be back to you by Christmas. Did that really just go underground for all of those years until this tune found its way to the surface? Well, it did. And the line that really floored me. The phrase that fell out was, I'll be back for you this Christmas, I can hear my mommy say, and a bit of truth within that lie I've yet to face today. And then it was like, immediately came, when it gets too much for feeling, you just bury it somehow. And then the line that really floored me was, and that eight-year-old abandoned lad still waits for her right now. And I didn't mean to write that at all. I didn't mean to write about an eight-year-old abandoned lad inside me still waiting for his mother. That just wasn't something that I had given any thought to. When that line popped out of me, 
I was shattered. Yeah, well, I've got the same part from my mom who never came back that evening. Yeah. I think that's maybe why your music resonates so completely deeply with me. Keep us going with your music. I don't want to lose that in the course of hearing your story. Yeah, like I said, music is the architecture of your soul. You know, there's a lot of research to say that the contours and relationships and the ratios in music are there on the Fibonacci numbers and they're there in nature. And so, you know, it's written across our DNA, you know, the musical intervals. And so I'm singing all the time. I love to sing. I teach singing. It's Somehow or another, when you open your mouth to sing, just one note, just like a nice big, ah, there's something that happens in that moment when you sing that note, which is very primal. For instance, in the uh, Hindu philosophy, they sing Aum, they chant Aum. Aum. The sound of the human voice can take the human, the person who's singing, really deeply inside in himself. And so when I teach, I teach from that point of view of getting the person to contact some sacred core from which everything is springing, which is a glorious thing to do. That's what really music means to me. Give us another sample of your music. Okay. I think the Tony Bonner song might be a good choice because Tony was a, uh, a champion boxer in the orphanage, and he, he just had the most beautiful voice. And when he was... You know, he was a school champion boxer, and he went out in competitions and so on. But when he sang, there was none of the kind of the, the tough, combative thing that he had when he boxed. He just let go, and he himself had been abandoned by his parents, really. They were too poor to keep him. And when he sang, he allowed his feelings to come into the music. He allowed his feelings of abandonment and dejection to come in. And yet, at the same time, he was so strong and so kind of robust. Tommy Bonner, beautiful voice, beautiful singer. Early mass that first black Sunday I'm not praying very hard and he sings the most beautiful solo Kyrie Rips my soul apart And tears that I'd held back for days Came pouring down like rain Yeah, it wasn't hard to let it all go When Tommy Bonner sang Forbidden to look round us in church Today I had no choice I had to see what kind of human being stood Behind that angel voice And in his eyes you saw the place Where prayer first began And you knew that God was listening When Tommy Bunner sang Dark as any moonless night Clean as morning dew And he sang as if to save his life While saving your life too And I never got to know him, ma'am But I, I knew him just
just the same Yeah, cause everybody knows you When you sing like Tommy sang How cold it was that first long winter Especially in the church I remember how the radiator pipes froze up They said that they might burst But even as your hands were swollen With red rod chill blames Spring was just around the corner When Tommy Bonner sang Dark as any moon last night Clean as morning And he sang as if to save his life While saving your life too And I never got to know him And I knew him just the same Yeah, cause everybody knows you When you sing like Tommy sang April Sunday morning Early in the spring I thought he must be sick with flu or something Cause he didn't come to sing And when the mass was over My heart fell to the floor To hear the tummy turn 16 and left to school Sing at mass no more At first I felt again abandoned Deserted and betrayed It seemed that everything I loved Would run and leave me here Lonely and afraid But there and then a seed was planted And I wish I'd felt back then Just a small taste of the joy that I'd find Trying to sing like Tommy sang Hey, 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 hey Dark as any moon last night Clean as morning dew Well, he sang as if to save his life While saving my life too And I never got to know that lad But I knew him just the same Yeah, cause everybody knows you When you sing like Tommy sang My guest today for Song of the Soul is Danny Ellis, and that was his song, Tommy Bonner, from his CD, 800 Voices. This is Song of the Soul, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, 
You can find us on the web at northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you can listen to and download all eight years of our programs. You can post comments, and we do love to have two-way communication. There's a place to make donations. That's how we get our support. And I want to remind you to always remember to support your local community radio station. They're bringing an invaluable slice of music and news to you that you'll get nowhere else in the USA. So please support your local community radio station. Again, we're with Danny Ellis. His website is dannyellismusic.com. On that site, you can find not only the four CDs that he's put out, you can find a link, information about his new memoir, The Boy at the Gate. We just listened to Tommy Bonner and Tommy Bonner's beautiful Kyrie. As I mentioned earlier, Danny, I grew up Catholic also, and you're just a couple years older than me, I think. They stopped Latin Mass when I was 10 years old in the USA. I don't know what they did over in Ireland. There's something I think that is lost in having gone to English language for me. I think I experienced more of the mystical ineffable because of Latin Mass, because I didn't particularly know the words. Is there any similarity between your experience meditation coming out of Hindu tradition with your Catholic early experience? Yes, but I would like to take up on something that you just said there because, you know, very often when you don't hear the words very well, you can make up your own words. Or when you don't know what's being said, when you listen to something in a foreign language, you know, like Latin, and you're listening to it and the melody is doing something to your heart, and your subconscious can really start to play with the sound of the words because you don't know what they mean. You're not, you're not exciting a, uh, you know, the kind of the cerebral part of your brain. My wife actually sometimes sings in Spanish. It's just glorious to hear her sing in Spanish because I don't know what she's talking about, but I know what she's saying. Sometimes you know what somebody is saying when you don't know the language more because you're listening with a different part of your body, you know. Yeah, there's actually a, a story about a Quaker fellow from 1700s who was very influential amongst American Quakers because he ended up leading the movement to help abolish slavery, first amongst Quakers, and it spread as Quakers became more activist. But he had a thing where he went to meet a Native American, an Indian, and he didn't speak the language. There was a translator. And at a certain point, when they were sharing messages, they agreed not to do through translation, but to speak each other, because the Native American chief said that he loves to hear where words come from. Yes. That's the phrase that just captured my heart. Yes. I don't need to know the words so much as I need to know where they come from. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and you know, you you can do that by toning as well. Singing, uh, a lot of the teaching that I do, I just get people to sing like ohs and oohs and ahs and baws and stuff. You know, you can just access the place without words. I mean, before we had words, we had feelings. You know, before you could speak, before you could understand your parents, or before you knew your own name, you were feeling all the things that you're feeling now so much more deeply, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you chant kirtan? No, I don't. I don't do hardly any chanting except what I do in in music lessons. The meditation I do is really just meditating on stillness, trying to feel that which is primal, that which can't be spoken, which can't be said. And, you know, just let my thoughts go so that I'm not thinking in, in a linear fashion. Just to embrace the stillness, really. 
you know, of course, I'm used to doing that too as as a Quaker. I mean, what we do in our meetings for worship. But who taught you or what group or if some of our listeners were interested in connecting with that kind of practice, how would they do that? I practice a kind of meditation taught by a gentleman called Pram Rao, who's a wonderful teacher. Uh, there are also various other Buddhist meditation you can do, meditating on your breath. Some people just meditate on a candle. But I would say that if you really wanted to take it seriously, it's good to get it from a teacher who somehow or another imparts something to you in a wordless way, without words, nonverbal, as well as the uh, techniques. Because you can see, you can feel when somebody is in a place of stillness. That has more of an impact on you than somebody telling you to be still. <laughs> I think probably when you were in the orphanage, you got told to be still a lot, and it probably didn't really help, did it? No, it didn't, no. It was really a crazy, crazy place. But you know, for me, it's like, how can you complain? I mean, if you, if you have a feeling that your life is a gift from top to bottom, you really have to try and see everything as a gift, you know. I mean, I don't think you have to believe in God. I mean, I know some friends of mine who do not believe in a personal God, in a individual God. They have more of a feeling for like an energy, like a, like a force, as it were. And I totally understand that. And I, I lean towards that and towards the personal God myself. But if you contemplate your life for a moment, you'll see that your life is a gift. And so when I think about the orphanage, that's all I can think of. People say to me, oh, the orphanage is a terrible, abusive place, and some of the Christian brothers there were, like, murderously cruel, and it's like it's all true. But uh, it's not the whole story. We've been talking a bit about music and how music can impact you. And I've written a song for my uh, 800 Voices album called Music for a Friend. When I wrote it, I was remembering just how much music really came in and took over all the empty spaces left in my heart by the abandonment of my family and my mother. Music just moved in, you know, like, like a, a wave and filled all those parts of me. And so I wrote that song, Music for a Friend. Also, this song talks a little bit about one of the brothers who was a particularly cruel brother, but who was impacted by me singing in the kitchen and was instrumental in getting me back into the band. This is a song about me getting thrown out of the band for fighting and then getting reinstated back in the band through the agency of a brother who was a pretty cruel person. Music for a friend. I was always a little downhearted Tonight I am worse and I feel justified I've just been thrown out of the band for a fight with young Andy McBride Oh Driscoll said why are you crying In charge of the kitchen he's a bad tempered man I told him a life without music for me is a life without a friend I've lost one good chance And I'll not get another I'll never play those Heartbreaking melodies again He said, work hard, son You'll be grand Come on, let that stuff's all pretend 
Strong men don't need music for a friend. So I'm working late in the kitchen. The whole world's asleep as I cross the ballpark. I make the sign of the cross as I pass by the church in the dark. I stop and gaze at the starlight. My breath rises up like a bird from a cage. Suddenly, all of the stars in the sky come alive in a blaze. Lost in a trance, and it's then that I hear them singing to me, heartbreak and melodies above, down from the stars, out of this world. Till now, that secret has remained. But I knew back then I had music for a friend. Peeling spuds in the kitchen, and I'm singing away at some song that I've heard. Oh, Driscoll, he creeps up behind me. He's listening, not saying a word. When I turn around, he is frowning. Surprisingly kind for a bad-tempered man. He said, "Let me speak to O'Connor, the brother in charge of the band. He might let you back in, 'cause that's where you belong, son. Go back and play your heartbreaking melodies all day." You're daft as eggs, but that's okay. That kind of madness does no harm, and I had to agree with him, 'cause now I know that God gives these melodies to us. It's almost like He dresses up, puts on a suit. We'll understand, so we. Can have music for a friend. Another stunning piece by Danny Ellis. His website, dannyellismusic.com. That was music for a friend from his 800 Voices CD. There's a few lines in there, though, that I wanted to ask you about. First of all, I don't know if it's a Irish phrase or not, but. You say in there, you're daft as eggs. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> the Irish are very creative with language. They just make up stuff. They'll say, you know, you're daft as onions, you know, you're daft as a baseball or whatever. Just anything that comes into their head rather than, than use a cliché. 
And one thing I love about going back to Ireland again is that, you know, everybody is making stuff up all the time, and it's just great. So Daft's eggs is like something that he just made up on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's another line in there. I think it maybe it's the brother who's talking to you, and he says something. Basically, he's saying that you know, strong men don't need to cry. Strong men don't need that friend. How wrong was that? Oh, you know, so many of the Christian brothers—they weren't priests, by the way. They were lay brothers. They were being forced to be strong in a way that was kind of dysfunctional in themselves. They were forced to kind of work like 18 hours a day, and you know, be celibate and take a vow of poverty. It was just very difficult for them. So they just had to kind of grit their teeth and kind of like knuckle down and suck it up. And so that's what they wanted us to do too. If we were crying for your mother or you were were lonely, they would just say, just suck it up, kid. You know, get strong. Strong men don't cry and strong men don't need music. But it turns out they were... uh, very wrong. Strong men are, are the people who do cry and the people who recognize that they can sometimes be empty. Because unless you recognize that emptiness, you can't fill it. But there's another, one of my favorite lines in that last song was, now I know that God gives these melodies to us. It's almost like he dresses up and puts on a suit, you'll understand, so we can have music for a friend. How do you think about God and maybe Christianity or maybe Catholicism? I mean, certainly you've seen some underbelly, but you seem to carry away a pretty positive attitude about anything. How does that react to you in the aftermath? I think mainstream Christianity is not really digging deep enough. I do appreciate the simplicity of just having a God who is both benevolent and punitive. I mean, I can appreciate the social necessity for that kind of dogma. But at this point in in humanity, in our journey, I I think that's no longer really functional because the way science is going and the way science is showing us, really we're we're coming to understand that that everything has sprung from an energy, from a source. Religion puts that source into a box and gives it a personality and so on, and there's no need for that. You know, when you're a child, you don't have words and you don't have dogma and you don't have concepts. Yet you are totally alive and you're totally sustained by that force which was there in the beginning of creation. And there's no words, there's no dogma, there's no Allah or Jesus or Muhammad or any of the other names we give to it. And so that purity of a non-verbal relationship with the source of your own being, to me, is what really has meaning. Because once you go into words, you're in the realm of the mind and the mind loves to argue backwards and forwards. But when you go into your heart and you just feel who you are and what's going on, you know, and the source of your own feelings, you don't need to say too much, you know. I do think that Jesus was an amazing being, and there have been some amazing masters. And I have studied quite a lot of different religions and different disciplines. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, seek ye first the kingdom, and everything else will be given to you. He said some amazing things. He was obviously a, a realized soul, whatever that means. But that light which created the universe hasn't gone away. That light is shining in every atom of our being. When I go to that feeling, there's no words. It's just a beautiful presence. I think humanity could really benefit from that simplicity. And I do think that that's what Jesus was encouraging us to do, was to be with that, with the presence of that which always was and always will be. Hopefully my music echoes some of that, some of the understandings that you get from being still 
it's made it difficult for me to write ordinary songs anymore. You know, it's like <laughs> I can't I can't really write songs which are kind of like. Uh, Baby, now that I found you, I can let you go. You know, it's hard for me to write those old, those old pop songs that were there in my youth. But that's such a good one. <laughs> I actually played in that band in the, in the Foundations. You played in that? I played in the band, yeah. We toured, uh, toured Europe with them. You don't almost build me up, buttercup, don't let me down. They were a, a pretty cool pop band. But yeah, so I can't write those type of pop songs, which I so kind of loved when I was a kid. I tend to write. I use relationships a lot because relationships are a metaphor for a kind of a deeper journey that's going on inside. So one of my songs that I'm most proud of with regards to relationships is a song called Shine. And that's from my CD, The Space Between the Lines. This CD is about my relationship with my wife. It's also my relationship with the divine and also about a relationship with a former partner of mine. So it covers the whole gamut and keeps taking it back to the fact that what wins in the end is that life which seems to shine through whatever happens. So this is a song called Shine from my CD, The Space Between the Lines. My mother spends her nights alone Thinking about the absence of my father when he finally came home It was never happy ever after I never thought to ask them why They never held each other tight It never dawned on me that something wasn't right Until the night I saw the light Inside your eyes Shine for me They told me she was hard to see So I tried not to look at her too closely She hid herself so easily I thought it was her way to take it slowly Oh, I like the way she used her mind The way she weaves her storylines I never call them lights Sometimes I lied myself Until the night I saw the light Inside your eyes Shine for me What you never had You can't ever miss But I was missing you Long before I knew There was something true Out there beyond the blue Promises we never made 
Don't wait around expecting to be broken. Some music that just can't be played. Saying all the things that can't be spoken. In the dying of the day, when our dreams come out to play, I lay beside you in the night and float away and pray I'll wake to see the light inside your eyes. Shine for me. Shine for me. Hey, in the dying of the day. Dreams come out to play. I lay beside you in the night and float away and pray I'll wake to see the light inside your eyes. Shine for me, shine for me, shine for me. Shine. by Danny Ellis. His website, dannyellismusic.com, or just follow the link, as always, from northernspiritradio.org. Oh, such a wonderful song, that one. And I feel so much the truth that you express in there, Danny, about both the experience of your wife's love, when you feel that love come at you from a loving partner, and how that is metaphor, relationship, it's an echo of the divine love. I feel both of those things in my own experience. And so you captured it so well there. And on an album so well-named, The Space Between Lines, because you were talking about the space between, that that's the place that we need to allow for that something special to come in. Do you have a quiet life where you have space like that? Oh, absolutely. I insist. I'm pretty busy. I do a lot of teaching and gigs and touring and so on. But I make space every day. I make a couple of hours where I can sit and be quiet and relax and renew and find some space. Yeah, I do that for at least a couple of hours every day. Our time is getting very short, I'm sorry to say, Danny. So I'd like to move kind of quickly onto one final song. I think we can squeeze it in here. How would you like to conclude your Song of the Soul? This is a song about me having left Ireland and been away for 10 years and going back and finding that the place is no longer the place that I, that I thought it was and I had changed and it had changed. It's called Another Dublin on My Mind. You know, it's, it's not what you would call it a spiritual song, <laughs> but it has underlying connotations there if you listen very carefully because you can never go back. And once, when something is gone, it's, it's gone. So we just have to keep finding that freshness in, uh, in something other than expectations. And, I mean, I was over in Ireland in 2004, and with the industrial changes, all of that, it was, it was quite a different place than what I understand it was before, the whole economic development that happened there. Is that part of the change, or what is the change? What, what's the part of the home that's no longer there? 
Well, for me, it was like the ceiling. Everybody was so much more busy. When I was there, like in the in the 60s and 70s, there just, just seemed to be a lot of space. And, you know, people had time for you and they would make time and you could hang out. And nobody was hanging. Everybody was really busy. Everybody had so much to do. And, oh, my goodness, it's just such a shame that we lose the art of hanging. <laughs> But I've been back to Dublin many times since writing that song, and I've since fallen in love with the city all over again because these are people, and the soul shines through regardless. Well, it certainly shines through your music. I'm so impressed with all of it that I heard. In case people think that you always have to sing with an Irish accent, there's other CDs there that... I, I wasn't sure you were Irish on those CDs. You, you do a credible African accent, uh-huh. and your jazz, blues numbers, they just go where that music is going. So Yeah. Well, thank you, because in Ireland, long before I sang an Irish song, I was singing American and English songs, you know, in show bands when I was a kid. And nobody wanted to sing with an Irish accent then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're leaving us with another one that's cited in Ireland. I really appreciate so much you joining me here today for Song of the Soul. And go forth and keep doing the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. In addition to what you've heard on this program, there are more gems from Danny Ellis, which we couldn't fit into this broadcast. So head to the northernspiritradio.org site and look for the bonus excerpts associated with this program. Right now, however, we close today's Song of the Soul with one more song by Danny Ellis. It is Another Dublin. See you next week for Song of the Soul. Wide awake My eyes are open, but my home looks like a dream Dublin's lights call out a welcome, but my soul can hear her scream Years of yearning bring me back now To find my home no longer mine These harbour lights don't shine for me It's not the town I've longed to see I'm home with open arms only to find There's another Dublin on my mind Not so long ago it seemed I ran these streets of splendor A Dublin lad with Dublin dreams And Dublin's arms so tender Arms that pulled me across the ocean Where is your tenderness tonight? Your harbor lights don't shine for me You're not the town I've longed to see I'm home with open arms only to find There's another Dublin on my mind It's the promises I've made Alone and afraid In other cities' arms where I laid me down But who am I to blame? When I myself have changed More than the streets of my hometown
It's not the town I've longed to see. I'm home with open arms, only to find there's another Dublin on my mind. Through the haze, an ancient song rings out across the river. Words of days and glory gone that send me all a shiver. Gypsy children by the quayside are all that's left of kinder times. These harbour lights don't shine for me. It's not the town I've longed to see. It's in my mind, a million miles behind. And there's another Dublin on my mind. These harbour lights don't shine for me. It's not the town I've longed to see. I'm looking, but I might as well be blind. 'Cause there's another Dublin. There's another Dublin. There's another. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song of the soul